0: Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. 1 John 5, verse 5 to 21, page 855 on the Church Bible. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by the water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray that God would give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know, also, we know also that the son of God has come and has given us the understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols.
1: Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And as we hear from it today, Lord, may your spirit be at work moving our hearts towards you. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, 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 uh, who, who have open hearts and open minds to receiving it. And may you move our hearts so that we can uh, live lives that are pleasing to you. We do pray that now in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I've shared this before, but when I was young, I uh, grew up on the north side of Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, It was a small suburb called Kelvin Grove, which is not very small. Uh, But it was the 80s and 90s when Brisbane's north side wasn't very multicultural. So my family and I, we were the only uh, one of three families in my school that were a different ethnicity. We were Asian. Now, all my friends didn't look like me. All my friends were Anglo-Australian. They were culturally different. I ate different food to them. I used chopsticks at home and I took off my shoes and I spoke a different language. I was different. And at times it made me quite nervous. In big groups or social events, ev- was, was everyone looking at me because I was different? Would, would people tease me because I only have single eyelids? Would girls like me even though I have a different colour skin to them? I'd often feel uncertain and unsure about how people would perceive me and treat me. I don't think I was ashamed of my heritage, but I was a little insecure. I mean, I was a kid. And, and while the world has changed in the past 30 years, and we celebrate multiculturalism a lot more, I still have insecurities, don't you? Uh, I have insecurities about friendships sometimes, whether, who are my actual friends? Well, how come they didn't invite me to that party? How come I, I was the last to find out about that information that everyone else knows about? I get insecure sometimes. I get insecure about... My job, I don't know you, if you ever feel insecure about your job, you, sometimes you have that imposter syndrome that if someone found out about you, you, you and, and they, they found out that you don't actually know what you're doing, you'd be humiliated, like you ever feel a bit uncertain sometimes about your job? I mean with social media too, and advertising and TV dramas, there's a standard of beauty as well, you feel insecure about your looks perhaps, you know, good skin, abs, lashes, we feel a little insecure at times too, don't we, about our looks. I'll also guess that there are many in this room, though, who are Christians here. And sometimes we're a bit nervous about sharing openly that we're a Christian. That sometimes we're a little bit insecure about people knowing about our faith and how they'd perceive us, how they'd respond. Perhaps a little insecure yourself about whether you really even are a Christian. Do we truly know God? Do we truly love God? Do we truly live for Him? It shows, doesn't it, at times. When we lack the confidence to bring up Jesus to our friends, at work on a Monday, people ask us, what did we get up to on the weekend? And we're like, oh, should I talk about church? I don't know, I'm not sure. We might feel afraid to bring it up. We might feel afraid to bring up our position on certain topics that come up in conversations on on sex or gender or abortion or any other spicy topic that our non-believing friends would scoff at or mock us about. If we were 100% confident and 100% secure, well, we wouldn't be shy talking about it, would we? We wouldn't be afraid to live differently or counter-culturally. And if we're honest with ourselves, isn't being a Christian sometimes something we all feel a little insecure about at times? Where we might be lacking confidence as we live out the Christian faith in a secular world. John's letter here in First John is written for people like you and I who might be at times lacking that confidence. In a world where everyone is very different to us, where at times we've experienced hostility or antagonism to the christian faith or our belief in god where people try to lead you astray and convince you otherwise john's letter here is to the church to us to reassure us that we are saved in god we are living in the truth of the lord and to keep on keeping on as we look forward to to eternal life And we've seen that over the last six weeks, if you've been following, if you've been tracking. If you haven't, there are online, our our talks are online on the website, but there's this encouragement to keep on persevering to remain and to abide chapters 1 and 2 the joy of christian fellowship remain in that joy to remain in in pursuing living in the light of god's holiness as he is light to remain in living in truth and obedience chapter 3 living in the righteousness of the lord jesus chapter 4 living in the love of god through loving god's people just as god loved us shown in the death and sacrifice of his son chapter 5 now living in the confidence keep on living in the confidence and assurance because we do have, in fact, the eternal life. We do have eternal life through Jesus. The, the verse that we want to really focus on that brings it all home is chapter 5, verse 30. I've got it on the screen here. It says this. This is at the center of our reading today. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. As you go through this passage, just keep picking up the, that word, you may know. Like He keeps saying that. He, he's trying to give us that reassurance about who we are in Christ. You see, in the time of John's uh, letter, the time of the church back then after Jesus' death and resurrection, the early church got infiltrated a lot by this false teaching. Uh, We heard about it in the first chapter. Uh, John calls them out. He labels them as the Antichrist. They're they're a people group who are anti-Jesus, leading people away from the gospel. And historically this group were known as the Gnostics uh, they were uh, very much a spiritual group of people they, they believed what was good was spirit and not flesh so they didn't believe Jesus was fleshly in, in the sense that he didn't come as a human he didn't come to die on a cross to save us he was all spirit and it's through um, connecting with spirit that we're saved that's how the Gnostics that's what the Gnostics believed and that what teaching was going into the church now, John is writing this letter to remind them, no, be confident of the gospel message that we first heard, that we came to faith in. Not let the false teachers lead us astray. And the first thing he wants us to see is, let's look to the testimony then of the water, blood, and spirit. Verse 6 to 8 on the screen. You can. I do want to encourage you guys to use your Bibles though. Follow along in your Bibles. This is in chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. It says this, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. You see, John is personifying the water, the blood, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and saying they all testify to the truth of who Jesus is, how it's through him we have salvation. What does that mean, though? What is he he about? Well, think about the image he's giving us. He's, there's a court of law, uh, you know, and he's bringing in these eyewitness testimonies to tell the judge and jury what they witnessed to get the truth. And you know, with truth, we need reliable, trustworthy witness testimony, don't we? We can't rely on false testimony. I, when I thought about this, I th- I was, there's a movie a few years ago that I watched, and I was talking to Tim about it um, uh, a couple of years ago, but it's, it's called Just Mercy. All right, it's based on it's Michael B. Jordan, based on a true story of Walter McMillan, a black man living in Alabama. It was tragic. He was accused of murdering uh, Rhonda, Rhonda Morrison, an 18-year-old white woman. And, and at the trial, four witnesses gave false testimony saying that they saw his truck at the front of the scene, of the crime scene. But Walter had all these other witnesses, his friends, that morning... That could testify that he was at church. He was at church that morning and there was multiple witnesses that could attest to it. Yet the police really wanted to pin it on Walter. Uh, th- so they called in these four false witnesses. They gave, uh, they gave their testimony and he was sentenced to death row. He was in jail for, on this false charge. It took six years before the truth came out and he was finally released. It's tragic. It's tragic when we hear false testimony, isn't it? But here John is saying there's the water, the blood and the spirit of truth himself that are testifying. Why are these his witnesses? Well, firstly, they all played a part in the life and ministry of Jesus and in, in, in our salvation. Think about the water. What does he mean by that? John is referring to Jesus' baptism. When Jesus got baptized at the Jordan River at the start of his ministry, in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, I've got this on the screen as well, it says this. In those days, uh, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. See, through the water, we have this acceptance, this the stamp of approval from God that this is Jesus, this is the one who's come to save, the Son of God, come as man, a confirmation here in Jesus by the waters of his baptism. The blood, the blood testifies to who Jesus is. Jesus came into our world as a man, the Son of God, yet he was also human, went to his death uh, to, on the cross, the shedding of his blood, so we could be forgiven. The blood is, symbolizes that it was really human. <laughs> to be a representative and substitute for us, he took, a hu- took, took on a human form uh, for, for the death we deserve, so that humankind could be forgiven. The blood gives us confidence that Jesus actually did die in our place. His body did hang on a cross. And that death, as the Bible tells us, is our atoning sacrifice. His life for ours. By his blood we are forgiven. The water and the blood testify to who Jesus is. It represents really the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry on earth. Doesn't it? Baptism and death. The blood. They testified to who Jesus truly was. He came in the flesh. He wasn't just some spirit. He was God come as man. But if that's not enough for the Gnostics and the false teachers during his time, he also says the spirit testifies to it. You see, the Gnostics would say Jesus came in spirit. But now John is saying, no, the spirit itself testifies to Jesus coming as a man, his incarnation in John fifteen twenty six, in John's Gospel chapter fifteen, uh, he's talking to the disciples here about the Holy Spirit. He says, "When the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify about Me." See, for the Christian who has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit points our hearts to Jesus, doesn't it? The Spirit unveils our eyes to who Christ is. He gives us the sight to see Jesus as He truly is, the Son of God, come as man, to die for our sins, raised again so we could have life. That's what the Spirit's role is, to point us to that truth. And John is saying that's what the Spirit testifies to. Jesus is the Christ. He is our Messiah, our Savior. So back in chapter 5 that we read today, he goes on to say in verse 9, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given, us, uh, given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts His testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, behind the water, blood, and Spirit, really at the heart of it, is god the god god's testimony is greater god is is, it's his testimony when if you going back to the court image we're listening to this case in front of this trial is happening and john actually just brings in his star witness to the end god himself is is there testifying his testimony is far more weightier than anyone or anything else his authority that stands behind the water the blood and the spirit and he testifies that jesus is the son And it's through Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we have life. You see, for us to know God, for us to have eternal life, to have the the pathway to him, it's through Jesus, his sacrifice that brings us forgiveness, a relationship with God. You might be here, you might believe that God exists, but you're not yet a Christian. You might call yourself an agnostic, perhaps. You know there's a creator, a designer, perhaps a grand architect that's behind our world and the creation, but you don't yet you don't yet have a personal relationship with him. You don't know him personally. You don't know know him. Well, here's God's testimony: to know him, to have life in him, to have a relationship with him, it's through his son Jesus. Get to know his son Jesus. It's through him you can have life. And for the Christian, that's where our security and confidence is found, isn't it? It's in him. We're not going to find it in ourselves. As as much as we want to try harder to feel secure in our faith, look to the testimony of God. See that Jesus is at the center of his salvation plan. It's in him alone we can stand firm and secure with whatever might come our way. But I know it's hard. I know it's tricky. I totally get it. Our friends walk away from Christ, our lecturers in our universities, the teachers in our schools, the elite in our circles, they'll tell us that we're believing in a fairy tale. They'll stand up. They'll testify that eternal life isn't found in Jesus. It's found in the here and now. You'll find life in pleasure, in work, in career, in your wealth, in relationships, in sex, in your popularity, in status. That's where you're going to find eternal life. Give up the whole Christian thing. These are the really the idols, aren't they, of our day and age? That's where you're going to find life. Give up on Jesus. And aren't those voices so loud at times? In the news, in pop culture, every time you open up your phone, even from the lips of our friends and family, It's hard. It's hard to have confidence and security when you feel like the minority, doesn't it? When the world undermines our faith and at times can even be hostile to it. It's so much easier to blend in with the world around us. But let's not forget, as John wants to encourage us with, we have a much stronger case with our witnesses. We have God himself on our side. We can be confident in the gospel because God has done this in history. His testimony is true. Don't believe the voices that will bombard you, the voices that will testify against Jesus. They will lead us astray from where truth and life is to be found. Let's find our security and confidence in the voice of God as it's written to us in the Scriptures. You see, when the gospel then is our confidence, it means we can also confidently approach God in prayer. In the moments of doubt, in the moments where you might feel weak in faith, in the moments where you, can't, where you just want to give in to the peer pressure around you, we can confidently come to God in prayer, knowing He hears us and He will carry us through. You see, what Jesus' death uh, does is it secures for us access to God. Access to God in a way that like a, a child can approach a father. We're being granted access to Him and He hears our prayers. It's his delight to answer our prayers when we pray in a way according to his will. Verse 14, this is what it says. should be on the screen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. While God invites us to pray to him about anything, John here is specifically saying there's a confidence that we can have when we pray according to his will in the gospel when we pray for strength to stand firm as a Christian, when we pray for faithfulness in times of struggle, when we pray for the many things that John has written about in this letter, to live in light, to live in truth, to live in obedience, to live in love and love our brothers and sisters, it's God's delight to answer those prayers. We can have a confidence that He will. That's how we can know His will. How can we know it? Because it's right there in the Bible. It's right there in your hands. It's His Word to us. That's His will. So don't start looking at the stars or looking at tarot cards or looking at anything else to find out God's will, the universe's will. God's will is right there for us in the Bible. You have the answers. How does God call us to live? To live in faithfulness, to live in love, to live in light. So when we come to Him in prayer and we're praying according to that will of His for us, we can have confidence because we know He's accepted us in Jesus. We know that Jesus' blood covers us so we can approach Him in confidence but then John writes these words that sound a bit odd. I'll be honest, it sounds a bit odd when it comes to praying for others. He says this, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. What is he saying? There is this sin that leads to death, but there is a sin that lead, that doesn't lead to death. First, we need to establish we all have sin. Every human being has sin in their hearts. It's our very nature, our our default, to rebel against God, to to live for ourselves instead of God. That's a relationship breakdown. That's what sin does. John here, though, is referring to, you could say, two kinds of sin. He's trying to distinguish. He's saying there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Essentially, back in the beginning of 1 John, the beginning of this letter, in verse 9 to 10, he writes this for us and reminds us that we'll all... He, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Right, so when we confess it, God will forgive us. Uh, there's forgiveness in our repentance. So I encourage you, keep bringing your sin before God. Keep doing that in repentance. That's, that sin won't lead to death. See, the mark of a true believer, the Christian in the room here, they'll be honest about their sin. They'll humbly acknowledge their sin, and they'll pray to God for his help and forgiveness in confession. Sin is forgiven in Christ. So John says, if you see a brother or sister, someone part of your church family, perhaps, in sin, pray for them. Pray that they'll run back to Jesus, that they'll live in his light and love. The the true Christian will not want to stay in sin. The true Christian will want to pray uh, for repentance. The true Christian will want to repent of it. So pray for them that they will come to God in repentance and obedience. But the other sin, the sin that leads to death, is a sin like the sin of the Antichrist. The people that he's talked about in this letter already, who don't repent, who reject Jesus outright, who is who are anti-Jesus. And so John here is in verse 16, in regard to the sin of of heretics, the false teachers he was dealing with, he says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. On first reading, it sounds like, what, we shouldn't pray for our unbelieving friends then, who reject Jesus? Those who are living in sin? Do we just not pray for the unbeliever? Well, John isn't saying that, I don't think. He's not prohibiting us or forbidding us from praying for them. We 100% should. But in the larger context of this letter, he's saying that there are some who are so anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, the heretics... They're evidently rejecting the gospel, dragging others away too, that at some point praying for them isn't going to change them. Their sin is leading them to their death. That's what he's saying here with this this comment he's making. I've said a lot of things, okay, so far. I've said a lot of things about uh, confidence in the gospel and, and confidently approaching God in prayer. I've actually got a guest who's going to come up to stay. She's, she's one of our members, Eunice. Eunice, uh, as earlier we, um, we talked about QTC and promoting that. Eunice is one of uh, the students there at QTC this year. She's one of our members here as well. And I've asked her to think through uh, 1 John, and uh, particularly this passage, thinking through how we can live Uh, with gospel confidence and also confidently approach God in prayer. So I've got some questions that I've asked her. She's prepped. So it's not, you know, just so you know, she has been prepped for this.
2: Um, I thought we were doing a podcast, like. Oh, I'll be
1: asking you questions that you're not prepared for as well. Don't worry about that. Um, How does the gospel, we've heard a lot about the gospel, about how it gives us confidence. How does it give you confidence, Eunice, amongst your non-Christian colleagues and friends?
2: So... One example that I could think of amongst many is is this year I started reading something called The Word One-to-One, which is a resource app that's basically the Gospel of John that you can read with non-Christians. And it's the Gospel of John and it's got some helpful notes on the side. So I started reading that with a friend who used to work with Jeff who isn't a Christian. And we meet weekly, and because we're reading through John's Gospel, we do get to parts of the Bible that talk about really big things, big issues, like the fact that we're all sinners, that we're all deserving of wrath and judgment and death, and that Jesus is the only way. Um, So in those moments, I do find myself tempted to shy away from those truths in God's Word and tempted to explain it away in a way that might be... Yeah, that might soften the blow mm. um, and in those moments every time i think that god convicts me though that about the dangers of tweaking his truth to something that is more acceptable to the world around us mm. and i realized that i was letting this fear get in the way of my friend knowing the truth and the way to eternal life and in, instead, I can have confidence to trust in Jesus that He is the truth and the way to eternal life. That the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of men, mm. far greater than my attempts to sugarcoat the gospel.
1: Do you, in the way that she responded to those moments. Was it? How how did she respond in those moments?
2: it's always surprised me because i always think it might be a stumbling block but it's actually like she does wrestle with them Mm. and uh, they they are big things but she wants to think about them and has been challenged to think about them and she still wants to keep reading the bible
1: yeah so so in your heart you might be nervous a bit insecure you could say but it's trusting that god's testimony is true and this is what she needs to hear. so it's not about you it's about God's Word speaking for itself.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah
1: that's awesome. Uh, what does it look like for you to have confidence and, and pray in a way um, that is in line with His will?
2: So growing up in different church circles, I've always struggled with the tension of whether I can or should pray for physical or circumstantial things versus spiritual things. Um, but over time, I've learned that I can pray both really big prayers and also really specific prayers to God. And I've also learned that prayer isn't just about the fact that we get to ask God for things, which is already amazing. Um, But a big part of prayer is how it grows and shapes our character. And in our posture before God in prayer, God really shows us our priorities, our desires, our motivations. What we find ourselves naturally and repeatedly asking God for are things that we truly prioritize and that we care about. So God does care about our circumstances and is powerful over it. Uh, But prayer in accordance with his will must involve heart change because God wants to mould our character and our convictions to centre around Jesus. Mm. Um,
1: Do you you find that sometimes the temptation for us is to, like what you're saying is great, the the temptation is to pray for our, when you say priorities, it's like sometimes our idols, the idols of our heart?
2: Yeah, and I... I do you think that, a lot of times, the idols will be the things that we think about the most. And if we are praying, then those are the things that we will be lifting up to God repeatedly. Yeah. And so, I do have an example of... Yeah? Something recent. Yeah, what happened? (laughs) I've been praying about, which um, is a bit scary to share in front of everyone. But a personal struggle of mine is that throughout my life, I always uh, feel a lot of pressure to be a good daughter, a good wife, a good sister, a good friend. Uh, And I do feel that pressure both from without and from within. Um, And I often feel as though my worth and my identity are tied up to my performance in those roles and relationships. So that's something that because it does affect me a lot i have been lately praying a lot about and lifting up that up to god um and encouragingly god has definitely heard my prayers um and answered it in an unexpected way through a prayer that i prayed for my mcg uh when we were going through one john chapter three and uh, missional community groups sorry small groups yeah that happen here um and that night, God opened my eyes to the incredible truth that we are children of God. And even though that's something as a Christian, like I've heard over and over again, it's so familiar. But that night, God really sunk that truth really deep within me and helped me to realize that my worth and my identity as God's child isn't tied up to my performance and in fact, Yeah, it's been imputed onto me, even when He knew that I had been failing and will continue to fail. So that was a really, yeah, pivotal and encouraging, incredible moment, but it also was incredible because like you said, we pray because we have confidence in the gospel, and then because God hears our prayers, we then have more confidence to keep praying. Yeah. It's like this so positive true. feedback loop yeah, that yeah, yeah. God graciously gives yeah,
1: us. Yeah. Well, that's really encouraging here that God was teaching you that that night when you were praying for your whole group, and he was speaking to you through, that, through his word. That's cool. Uh, the last question I have for you today is how can love then shape our prayers? It, it talks about sh- praying for one another, especially when we see others in sin. How can our love shape our prayers for others when they might be in sin?
2: So loving someone and praying for someone are intrinsically linked So something that I was convicted of as I was preparing for this today is that I can shower someone with all five love languages, (laughs) but if I don't pray for them, I'm withholding from them the most powerful, most impactful, and most life-changing love. There are limits to the way that we can love, but through prayer we connect people to a God Whose love is limitless?
1: What do you mean by we're limited in the way we love?
2: Um, I mean, I can buy you nice gifts because that's what I like doing, but I have limited time, so I'm not going to. Limited money too. Yes, (laughs) and limited money. (laughs) I won't buy you VIP Taylor Swift tickets. And I might fail with my words. My words of affirmation aren't always great. Um,
1: We're gonna have so much energy. We're limited in that, in in terms of loving others. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah. but God is limitless. So when we ask him and we pray to him to, in love for our friends or brothers and sisters, we can see him at work in ways that we can't, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: Yeah. and we're flawed and sinful and we do hurt people and that's that's not super loving.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And this passage, though, particularly talks about praying for our brothers and sisters we see committing sins. And that does require a really high level of vulnerability. It does require us to confess our sins to one another in order that we can pray for each other. And through that, the passage says God will give us life, Mm. which is pretty incredible. It also challenges us not to judge others, too, when we see them committing sins, but instead to pray for them. Yeah. And um, I also realize that sometimes the sins that we see our brothers and sisters committing might also be sins against us. And they might hurt us with their harsh words or unreasonable expectations or even betrayal. Mm. But and in those moments it can be easy for us to wallow in that hurt or talk about it to others in a way that could be gossip but instead this passage is challenging us to pray for them
1: mm, bring it before god yeah
2: pray for a conviction of sin for repentance and for them to be more conformed to the image of the sun
1: mm. that's really helpful uh, that last part I find really helpful. Like, as a, as a parent right now, I'm always teaching my daughter to regulate her emotions even though she's two years old. And I'm supposed to regulate my emotions, but I don't, I, it's so hard for me to regulate my emotions and I'm just like, oh, this is so hard. And so it's just, praying sometimes is, is a, an outlet for me to regulate my emotions uh, when I'm feeling something. Um, but to bring it before God and say, hey, you know, like, yeah, I feel hurt, but I want to pray for my brothers. I want to pray for my daughter. I want to pray for these people who are hurting me um, because... Yeah, how I respond, I don't want to respond in sin either. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks so, Eunice. Um, I'll finish up here. Uh, some helpful thoughts uh, and encouragement I hope we can all consider in our lives as we apply it uh, in our lives. Uh, I want to turn you guys back just to the end of chapter 5. It ends, like he finishes with this note of assurance and he ends this letter, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's this final warning that he has here that there will be voices around us. There will be uh, voices that lead us astray to want to worship idols that aren't God. There will be teaching and influences and people in our lives who will point us uh, away from Jesus to lesser things, the idols of our hearts that we just talked about, that will, that will never satisfy, that will never really quench us or simply they just can't offer us eternal life. And, I, and it's, 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 it's this funny way of finishing a letter, but he's, it's there because he wants us to be mindful, to be aware, to be wise, you know, our, our, our insecurities, our uncertainties will at times tempt us to look for alternatives. But let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's anchor in him. Let him be the foundation of our security and confidence in life because he truly did live. He truly did die. And he was raised again to save us from our sin. And in that good news, we have security. We have eternal life with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus, that he's at the centre of it all. He's at the centre of your plans, he's the centre of uh, our salvation, and he's the reason why we can have eternal life, why we can have a relationship with you, our our great creator, mighty God, majestic God. We pray, Lord, as we consider uh, that truth in our own lives, that will be the anchor for our souls. Uh, the anchor for our security. And in times where we feel uncertain about our faith, at times where we feel uncertain about sharing about our faith or talking about being a Christian in the world around us, help us, Lord, to live out that, that confidence and security, that, that knowing that it's not about us. It's all about the the Word of God. It's all about Jesus, the living Word of God, the one who comes and and brings salvation to us and to the people around us as well. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us uh, that that courage uh, and that security to live in light of the gospel uh, for your glory. In his name we pray, amen.